0: Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osband, here with my friend, Chavruta, Aunt Gordon. Our Daf today, Masachet Sukkah, Daf chav Zion, page 27. Well, I do want to mention that um, we had a Mishnah yesterday, which we did not read, and we do try to read basically every Mishnah. Uh, The point in that Mishnah was really to talk about what happens with a person who wants to be more stringent on themselves, and the case that they were using there was being stringent about what they will eat or not eat within the sukkah. We start with the new Mishnah here, and this is really uh, what the Gemara does with it After afterwards is really quite rich. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, So Rabbi Eliezer says that a person is obligated to eat 14 meals in the sukkah, one during the day and one at night. Now, one thing I want to note here is, it's interesting to me that the Mishnah doesn't, I would think it would have read, because we know the holiday starts at night. That's just a little side point. But the Chachamim say no. There's sort of no number, right? Except that you just have to eat a meal the first night of Sukkot. Again, I think this further is interesting to me where we don't start with the night. Um, But there isn't really a set number of meals that one is obligated to eat uh, when with the sukkah. And I think this actually goes a little bit along with what we talked about yesterday, that the discussion about Akhilat Arai versus Akhilat keva was actually quite brief in the Gemara. They didn't spend a lot of time talking about it. So it seems to be that there's sort of an overall sense that the halachot around the eating um don't occupy that much of the halachic mind space, right? It's like you eat in the sukkah when you eat in the sukkah. The odama ravilas are Rav also said and if somebody didn't eat that first night meal uh, in the sukkah, then they have to compensate by eating a nice festive meal the last night of Yom Tov, which would be Shemini <laughs> the Chacham say, there's no makeup for this. And they quote the very famous pasuk from Kohelet, chapter 1, verse tep, uh, verse 15, Right, that which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanted cannot be numbered. There are some things, if you miss your opportunity to do it, you miss your opportunity to do it, and it's not something that can be made up. So uh, the questions again, I'm left with is well, question and observation is why the text of the Mishnah is yom, uh, you know, chad yom vechad laila. Why is it not laila vechad yom? And also, again, the Chachamim's attitude towards this, to me, continues to emphasize sort of the nature of that. Yes, the sukkah is there for you to eat, but that's not necessarily its primary purpose. The primary first purpose is for you to have a sukkah and live in the sukkah. Whether you eat one meal or you eat twenty meals, that's not really uh, that's not really what is important. And so, I'm actually going to skip the beginning of the Gemara. The Gemara quotes, you know, why do they have this difference of opinion? It has to do with how Rabbi versus the Chachamim understands the concept of basukot um, teishvu uh, and what, what they do about the word teishvu itself um, but then the Gemara gets into a, a, sort of an interesting uh, uh, st- well story here but I'm going to start a little bit before a right so he said we quote again this Mishnah that he says you have to do 14 to a day. Amar Rabbi Ami, Khazarbo Rabbi Eliezer. And then baray said in the name of Rabbi Ami that Rabbi Eliezer actually retracted this, that eventually he does agree with the rabbis. Now, I want you to keep this in mind because uh, we'll, we will learn more about Rabbi Eliezer when we get to the famous story of Tanur Shalaknai. Rabbi Eliezer tends to not usually be a personality. He sort of is, he's one of the, Tanayim, uh, you know, second generation Tanayim, little bit seems to be more with the school of Shammai, of Beit Shammai. So he's sort of very strict into the letter of the law. And we're going to see that in one of the stories later on. But he doesn't really, it, the, for him to retract seems a little bit out of character of who he is. Um, and then the Gemara goes on to say, what does it be to be Mashlim, right? How do you compensate Mashlim, but my Il-Malai, what would we would say, right? So we say he eats with bread and he eats this, you know, this festive meal. So then we say, okay, what are, really, like how is that anything special to just say that you ate some bread? So how does he really compensate? So if he needs to compensate for this meal that he missed, he should eat what we call targima, which seemed to be some type of delicacy uh, that you would, and, and then you fulfill your obligation. So in other words, you ate something special on the night of the eighth night of, you know, the eighth night, which is Shemini Atzeret. And this way you showed this was the makeup meal. Now we get to an interesting story. And remember, we've talked about King Agrippas before, that he sort of is this prototype of the sort of non-Jewish Jewish king. And here, and he always seems to be in situations, Agrippas, where he's sort of asking to really know the halacha, because every story we see about Agrippas, it, they're usually stories where he comes to Chazal because he wants to practice the of vote correctly. And here we have a, st- a story about his steward, about his is uh, servant, right? So shaal right? Agrippas hamel. So the apotropos of a king Agrippas, right, goes to at you know ask at so he says, somebody like me, I actually only eat one meal a day. So can I be, can I fulfill my obligation just by eating one, two, da a day, right, Veftor, And then on tour, I fulfill my obligation. If I just eat one, two, da a day, so he would only be obligated in seven, two, dope. Now, again, this story seems to be weird because we previously saw Beret in the name of Rav Ami, What say Rabbi Eliezer retracted it. But this story seems to show that this was a very well-known halacha of Rav Yasser. Amar Lo, Rabbi answered this, So he says, every day you eat all these different types of appetizers, sort of, you know, to honor yourself, right? Remember, this is the king's servant. So obviously the food in the house was very good. And he gets to sort of nibble on delicacies all day. And now you wouldn't even be willing to sort of eat an extra appetizer, meaning eat an extra meal in deference to Hashem. So a very interesting story where we sort of see somebody wanted to ask a very practical question of sort of, you know, how they normally eat. And it really ends up being a very theological discussion, which is Rabbi Lezer is essentially saying, you should be pushing yourself. You should be obligated to serve Hashem and eat, you know, dedicated to Hashem for fourteen meals. So again, that previous line of the mission of the Gemara saying that Rabbi Eliezer retracted does not really seem to line up with this particular uh, story. And then the Gemara goes on and says, chalu right?" And then he goes on and asks again, "Kagon, you know, Kagon anish yeshli I you have two wives." A One lives in Tavaria one lives in Tipuri. The stays leach Day Shuk Sukhot Achabitavari Vhabitzi Puri. And I have one sukkkah in Sipuri one uh sorry, one in Tavari and one in Sipuri. Mahu shait se mi sukkalusukavev tar. So should I can I go from one sukkah to another sukkah and uh you know exempt myself? In other words, is it okay if let's say he does day one and two in his sukkah and tivaria, and then he does day three or four in his sukkah? In uh in Sephori, and then maybe he goes back and finishes up the holiday in Tiberia. Because remember, Rabbi Eliezer feels very strongly. If you look at the beginning part of the Gemara right after the Mishnah, you really have to live in your sukkah. Your sukkah has to be on your property. You got to live in that sukkah. So, what does it mean if you have two sukkahs? Can you change your residence during sukkahs? Amar lo, um am- lo shani omer Mi yotze misukah lusukah betel and so Rabbi Eliezer says again, we see this certain harshness, the strictness to Rabbi Eliezer. He says, no, if you leave one sukkah and go to the other sukkah, it's like you didn't do anything for the first sukkah. You negated it. You didn't fulfill anything because the idea is to be in one sukkah for all seven days. So I think I so again, I don't really have an answer to this, but it just seems surprising to me that the Gemara goes out of its way to say that Rabbi Eliezer retracted. But yet, at the same time, it shows a story that really Rebbe Eliezer did not really retract his position. And in fact, he seems to have a very sort of strict attitude towards Sukkot. I mean, I even was thinking about, think about the number of people who travel for Sukkot, who go to family for Sukkot. I don't know that Rebbe Eliezer would be into that so much. It seems very clear to him. It's like, supposed to be on your property, your home. You actually should be eating in your Sukkot self well,
1: my question is, you know, you say it's a little bit, we could get a little bit philosophical here. I have a practical question because, unless, according to one who's only going to have one meal in the Sukkot, and it's going to be his Sukkot, meaning let's keep it in the one place. I'm going to talk about what happens about moving Sukkot in a minute, but let's assume for a moment that you're going to follow everything according to Rebbe Reb Lezer, but instead of having, according to the mission of the 14 meals, you're going to have seven, right? What if you, What if you have some, I don't know, 12, what if you had nine, right? What if instead of having fourteen, you had breakfast, lunch, and dinner as we, you know, talk about three square meals a day nowadays, which was not which is clearly not the norm. You know, then they just simply had um like a I don't know what, a midday and a and a late meal, right? So I feel like the Mishnah that is so specific and the arguing against it still doesn't give me an answer, like a general principle to what the requirement is for the sukkah, right? Is it, because I know we had a whole big discussion already about achila arai right? That food that is just a snack, it doesn't require a sukkah. So then, right? I mean, do you understand my question? Like what what is the, we don't, I don't think we have a principle yet of when you have to eat in a sukkah if you're not counting meals.
0: I agree. And I think this all is tied into, you know, what was on the previous step. There's just not a lot about the eating. Right. Like it's not. And even the parallel that it draws before I didn't read this part of the Gemara that, you know, draws a parallel from having to eat the the matzo on the first night of Pesach. It kind of stops there. Like with the matzo, there's a shear. There's you know, you really have to eat it. But like we don't really seem focused on the food and the meals with Sukkot, even though that's how we really experience (laughs) Sukkot.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Right. It seems like this is the big it should be that the first night should be the biggest deal, the same way that the Lelha Seder is the biggest deal. And yet it's not, except for, again, I still want to know what happens if I let's say I've done I only have one meal a day and I have seven meals in my sukkah. And now, lo and behold, on one of these days of Sukkot, instead of having my normal practice of one meal a day, I'm going to have a second meal on that day. So does that second meal have to be in the sukkah? Meaning we would say, well, of course, it's sukkah. the sukkah. But there's something about this count that just keeps that I it's a little bit strange to me that this is the way that they're figuring out what your obligation is, as opposed to saying what we talk about nowadays in halacha, right? You know, if you eat bread, if you are covea suda, if you sit down to a meal, all of these things, we would say, well, of course, you need a sukkah,
0: which seems to be about the eating,
1: right? As opposed to a count. Who counts how many meals you have?
0: Yeah, no, I, t- I, I totally agree. Um, it it, it it's, There seems to be such a disconnect between what the Gemara says and I think how we really practice.
1: Okay, so with that, we're going to do exactly this, you know, where there's another disconnect. The Gemara here, as you've said Yordina Dana, begins Rebilezer's position, which he's already established as being pretty clear. You know, you cannot leave your one sukkah for the other sukkah. Now, it happens to be that there's a that is that the Gamar brings, in Rebelezer's name that supports exactly this position. Meaning, if you, in case you thought that there was somewhere else that he backtracks, it's not here. So this is two different points. One is that you don't leave from one sukkah to another sukkah. You started with one sukkah for the whole sukkah, so you keep going. He doesn't address what happens if it falls down from the wind, right? Meaning the presumption is that your sukkah is there and you just stay in that same sukkah. You dwell in that same sukkah for the entirety of the holiday. And also you don't get to make a sukkah on Cholamoid. Now, this of course, oh, this is of course is an interesting point because it sounds like, you know, based on you have to stay in your one sukkah and you can't go somewhere else, it sounds like the prohibition then would be establishing a sukkah on Cholamoid to be your new sukkah that you're going to. Meaning, you can't build two before Sukkot, that you go from one to the next, and also you can't build one on Cholamoid to be your new sukkah. Except for that the commentaries say that what this means is you can't build a sukkah on Cholamoid if you didn't do it before Sukkot. Meaning, it's not re-erecting a sukkah that fell down in the wind. It's talking, It's specifically talking about somebody who I don't know, what, ignored the fact that sukkah was coming and then lo and behold said, oh, it's okay, I'll put it up over Cholamoyed, and the answer is no, you can't do that, La-Halacha, anyway, not in terms of practice. Now, this Breitza continues, (laughs) meaning a direct contradiction to Reb Lezard's position, yes, you can go from sukkah to sukkah, you know, on Sukkot, and you can establish a sukkah on Cholamoyed, which, it seems good, right? Especially if you're going traveling and you need a sukkah where you go to, you're going to have to put up a sukkah, like because now you need a sukkah to eat. I know plenty of people who go on Tihu, right? They go hiking or whatever, camping, camping, right? But what they put up is a sukkah. But you can't do that if you, according to Rabbi Ezra's position, you would not be able to do that on Sukkot. So, you know, certainly have the day at the end of the day. We're not quite there yet. Vishavin. And it happens to be that Rebbe does agree, right? He, where does he, you know, kind of succumb to this argument from Chazal that um, that if you set up your sukkah before before Sukkot and then it fell down, right, my scenario of the wind, then you may indeed rebuild it during Chol because. That's not the point isn't a punishment for somebody who is negligent. The point is what are you gonna do? The wind the wind blew down your sukkah and now you need a sukkah. So of course you can re, you can put it up again. So now the Gemara wants to know what is the uh, why does Rebbe Lezer take this position altogether, right? Why can't you move from one to the next, according to Rebelazar? Amar Kra, because there's a verse in Devarim, Deuteronomy, because the verse says the holiday of Sukkot, you should make for yourselves seven days. Aseh sukkah haru'uya So then make a sukkah that will last you for all seven. Don't, don't pussyfoot around this, right? Like you're supposed to have a sukkah, a, a sukkah that will last you for all seven days. Virabana hachi ka'amar rachmana asay sukkah b'chag. So Rabbanan say, okay, but just chill. Read that same verse in a more chilled way, and you don't have the same exact place for all seven days, but rather make sure that you are in a sukkah, a sukkah, not that sukkah, for all seven days. So, you know, this is classical Gemara approach, right? To, t- to take, here's a verse and here's an opinion which is derived from this verse, but the other side, meaning Rabbanan in this case, still have to be able to interpret that verse. They can't just leave it hanging because otherwise the the hanging interpretation Default to the person who is actually making use of it. So, Chachamim do interpret it, and they interpret it just a little bit more gently, I would say, than Rebbe Lezer, which stands to reason also for his personality, as you said, Rudina. And then the Breitta goes on. That same point about it, if it collapsed, and then they, you could rebuild it on Cholamoid, the says, Pshita. Well, yeah, of course, is what it says. What's what's the rationale to bother to say that you could rebuild it on a if you needed to because it was destroyed? To the contrary. So what happens? The Gemara says, it's a, you know, this it is obvious. And the Gemara answers, well, you might have said that according to Rebbe Yazar, the rebuilt sukkah, meaning the same sukkah that was built before sukkahs that is now being rebuilt, might really be thought of as a new sukkah, a different sukkah for Rebbe Lezer, And therefore, he would say that it doesn't count because it's a different one and you've moved from the one to a different one. And so the break comes to say that even Rebbe Lezer agreed that if you re-erect the same sukkah that fell down that you had already established, you're fine. Meaning that that is not considered a new sukkah according to his the problem that he has established. And then we have another break note which says it's again. We're still talking about Reuven's position because, and it should be very concerning to everybody because it's so obviously not what we do. Tanya, Reuven, Omer, kishim Sha'in Adam. You'd say Yedei Chovato be Yom Tov Arishon shall Chag Balulavo shall Chaveru Diftiv Ula Kachtem Lachem be Yom Arishon Kapot Marim Mishalachem Kach Ain Adam Yotzei Yedei Chovato Basukatosh shall Chaveru Diftiv Chagasukot Taselecha Shivat Yamim. So this is great rationale. It gives us a little bit more insight into what Rebbetzin's thinking is. Besides that verse saying, "Oh, all seven, it should be in the same place." Rather, it says like this: This Rebbetzin is basically understanding sukkah in the context of, of lulav. The fact that we take a lulav and etrog every day of Sukkot, the the halacha is that the first day of you could borrow a sukkah, you could borrow a lulav, rather for any of the remaining days of Sukkot, but that very first day, your Lulav and Etrog are supposed to be your own. And if it is supposed to be your own, it has like this own this different status that should be, you know, it should be your own. It fulfills, first of all, it fulfills the mitzvah, according to the verse. This is a verse in Vayikra. It says you should take for yourselves, for yourselves, meaning it should be of your own. So then Rabbi Lezer's rationale for that verse from Zavarim, where it says you should have a sukkah that it should be for you, he says, it should be of your own. So that kind of gives us this backdrop that the lul of an etrog, which has to be your own on the first day, so so too, Rebbe Lezer sees the word shalcha, um, or lacha rather, and understands it to be shalcha, of yours, belonging to you, and because we're talking about seven days, he says all seven days. But <speaking in the language> say that's true about lulav, right? You can't be yotze your obligation. You cannot fulfill your obligation with somebody else's lulav on the first day of Yontif. On the first day of Sukkot, say. You're right about the point of, of Lulav, but you're not right about the point of Sukkot, of the Sukkah. Do not extend it to Sukkah, because there's a verse that says, any, any citizen, right? any Jewish people who are sitting in a Sukkah, on Sukkah, right? everybody should be sitting in Sukkot, anywhere, any Sukkah. It doesn't need a specific one. It doesn't need to be yours. It doesn't need to be the same one from yesterday, etc. Everybody can be sitting in in any one sukkah as long as you've got a kosher sukkah, which is what we do. Meaning, when I said before that Chachamim win, it, it, it's true. We do not pass him like Rebbe Lezer because, I, I don't know why, meaning I guess the reason why is because his position falls down. Like it does not, It does not stand up to the scrutiny of that verse the moment you say, everybody on Sukkot should be in a sukkah, then I, Rabbi Eliezer doesn't really have a good answer for that one, at least not that I've seen on this stuff.
0: So I think in a way this stop is taking us through, you know, first Rabbi Eliezer's opinion, then this statement that says, we don't really follow him, he retracted. And then a series of stories that sort of show, no, we actually, Rabbi Eleazar didn't seem to retract, but ultimately we end up with the opinion of the Chachamim. And so I think it's really just all sort of one long narrative from the Mishnah through, you know, through what you read here.
1: Right. It, it does kind of this, you know, your Dana, we, you know this, but the people are co-listeners, co-learners do not. Um, when we were preparing, we said, oh, we could do this whole daf today because it's so rich and because it really does kind of follow so nicely from it, from itself. It, it flows very nicely. Um, we don't have the time to do the entirety of the daf. But but there it is, right? It does flow nicely.
0: Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reveni Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this staff on our Talking Talmud and Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.